Well, good evening, Family Church Heaven, and welcome to Sunday night local this evening. And I uh, hope you're well, hope you've had a good day, and uh, just enjoyed the um, sunshine that was out um, today. And some of you even had snow, I know. So I hope that you've had a good day. We had a great morning uh, online with online church, but also with our Zoom uh, that we do before the service. And if you've never joined in with one of those, I'd really encourage you to uh, make that a part of your Sunday morning if you can. Um, so, hope you're well. Say hi to one another in the comments section if you're watching this on a laptop or on your iPhone or whatever it might be. And uh, feel free to comment in the comments section as we journey through these thoughts this evening. Now, today is the 24th of January, and you may think, well, yeah, I kind of know that already. Why is that significant? It's significant because seven years ago today, we purchased the Empower Centre Haven. And I remember seven years ago signing the document, picking up the keys from the estate agent, and we'd finally, and some of you know the long journey that we were on, we finally, after um, almost a year of going back and forth, had the keys in our hand. And uh, it's amazing to see what God has done with that facility and how many lives God has changed within that facility. And so I remember uh, getting our keys and going along to that, and many of you have spent hours and given finance to seeing it become what it is today. And really there was a rebuilding of something derelict. Now we're in a series of thoughts, all orbiting around this central theme of building the house. And when we're talking about the house, we're talking about our lives individually, we're talking about our households, we're talking about the Church of Jesus Christ, both locally and globally. And we've been journeying through some thoughts for the last couple of weeks. Week one, you may remember, we talked about um, turning beauty, um, sorry, ashes to beauty, beauty from ashes. And um, we looked at those verses where the Bible declares in Isaiah what God can do. Remember, we talked about God being a God of redemption, that God can rebuild anything from the ash. Then last week, Mark Ward did a great teaching. If you haven't yet seen that, all of these are available for you to catch up on our YouTube channel. And Mark Ward did a great teaching on the temple and the rebuilding of the temple. And he spoke um, about um, that thought that we are now temples of the Holy Spirit ourselves and that everything that we are and everything that we do should have Jesus in center position. So some a uh, couple of weeks that we've been doing on this teaching. We've been looking at different um, parts of the Bible, specifically in the book of Ezra and Nehemiah. And tonight we're going to continue in these thoughts. And we're going to talk about the fact that the people in Nehemiah's day had a, as a, had a mind to work. And we're going to see that Nehemiah and the people were able to do so much through God's strength because they were consumed with the purposes of God. And so we're going to look at that together this evening. Then we're going to look at how that applies to us today, how that affects our lives today. We're going to talk about our priorities and we're going to talk about what it means to seek first the kingdom of God. So that's the route that we're going down this evening. Now, in the first week, you may remember that we talked about the burden that Nehemiah got to rebuild things that were broken in the city of Jerusalem, specifically the city walls. And we spoke about why that was significant in that day. And we went through a journey of seeing the, the steps that Nehemiah took, that Nehemiah um, suddenly acknowledged the need and got a burden. Remember this, that he didn't accept things as they were, that he prayed and that he fasted. We talked about the fact that Nehemiah repented, that he owned his part and his family's part for what had gone wrong. But then we ended up looking at how he took steps forward, that if he just stayed and prayed and hadn't done anything, 
then nothing would have been rebuilt. We spoke about the fact that God does the miraculous, that it's God who gives us the strength, but there's a responsibility on us to play our part, but God desires that we play our part in seeing his miracles come to pass. And so we read these verses in Nehemiah chapter 2. Let's read them again this evening. Nehemiah 2, we're going to read 17 and 18, and he gets all the Jewish leaders together, and he says this, You know very well what trouble we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins, and its gates have been destroyed by fire. Let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and end this disgrace. Then I told them about how the gracious hand of God had been on me and about my conversation with the king. They replied at once, yes, let's rebuild the wall. And so they began the good work. And then we come to chapter 3, and in chapter 3, we begin to read of this rebuilding. There's a beautiful picture that we read in, in Nehemiah chapter 3 of people coming together with a common cause, with a common purpose, a real spirit of unity. And we're going to talk about unity next week in our thoughts. But listen to this, Nehemiah chapter 3, verses 1 to 3. It says, Then Eliashib, the high priest, and the other priests started to rebuild at the Sheep Gate. They dedicated it and set up its doors, building as the wall as far as the Tower of the Hundred, which they dedicated, and the Tower of Hananel. People from the town of Jericho worked next to them, and beyond them was Zuku, son of Imri. The fish gate was built by the sons of Hassanah. They laid the beams, set up its doors, and installed its bolts and bars. And so you get this idea in Nehemiah chapter 3, you could read it on in your own time. It goes on and on about how this section of the wall was rebuilt by this family. And then this group of people rebuilt this section of the wall next to them. And so on and so on. All these families, all these people with a common heart to build. How did that come about? Why did they carry the heart to do what God had called them to do? Because they were people consumed with God's purposes. Now here's the question that I want to put to myself and I want to ask of you this evening. Is God and his kingdom central to how you do life? It's a good question to ask ourselves, isn't it? Because as we talk about building the house, do you know there's many things that we can be building in life on a daily basis? Some of you are right now building a family. Um, you maybe have a young family and you're putting time and effort into building that family into um, what you want it to be. Maybe some of you are married and you're building a marriage. Some of you maybe are building uh, a business. Maybe um, it's your own business that you've built from scratch. Maybe you play a key role in the business that you work for and seeing that come to a place of success. Maybe you're building a CV or your career. Maybe you're building um, for a charity or a cause that could be I don't know, your, your kid's football team, that could be uh, a charity that does great work all around the world. Um, you're building towards that. Maybe you're building um, for success. You're building to have a healthy bank account. Maybe you're building um, your body naturally. Maybe you would term yourself a bit of a bodybuilder. You're uh, down the gym when they're normally open. Or maybe you've built yourself now a home gym at home and got a few things that you can use to, to put into your natural body. You are a body builder. Maybe you're building great friendships as many of us desire to. Maybe you're building towards hobbies and, and things that you really enjoy doing in life. Maybe you're building your home. You're saving up to be able to buy your own home or you're doing up the home that you're in right now. Maybe you're literally building a home where you're going to live in the future. And, and none of those things that I've just mentioned are wrong. In fact, 
Uh, a lot of those things that I've just mentioned are things that are given to us by God to, for us to enjoy and for our lives to be enhanced. In fact, the word speaks a lot about how we're to do those things in a biblical way. But the ultimate question is this. Ultimately, are we building according to God's priorities? That's a challenging thought because at the end of my life, I know that so much of um, what I've built won't actually carry an eternal significance. I pray that the majority of it will, but I know that there'll be some things in my life that don't carry an eternal significance. Many of our investments in terms of our time, our energy, our resources, many of our investments won't carry an internal significance. Now again, that doesn't mean that they're wrong. That doesn't mean that they're sinful. But God's desire is that we would give our greatest focus to him in how we spend our time, our energy, our resources. You know, uh, this week, um, I, I was just at a place where I thought, I want some stuff to, to look forward to in the future, some stuff in the calendar when we're eventually allowed out of our houses and allowed to play again. Um, I want some stuff to look forward to in the in the calendar. And so I contacted a couple of friends and uh, we purchased some tickets for a snooker tournament. Now, I know some of you are like, really? <sighs> snooker? Like, why would you pay? to go and watch people with a couple of big sticks hitting balls into a net. Um, I don't know, you've got your own hobbies that would probably bore me. Um, but we bought some tickets to go to see the Masters semi-final, just in case you're interested, next January. And so that's something to look forward to in the diary. And so, do you know what? That cost me money. That's going to cost me time. And again, none of that's wrong because it's good to have hobbies. It's good to have things that allow us to relax. It's good to feed the soul with things that we enjoy doing. But the truth is, if all of my time and all of my energy and all of my resource and the best of who I am was given to something like sport, then I may enjoy parts of it, but it really wouldn't carry an eternal significance. And reality is it would take me away from the ultimate purpose that God has for my life. Now stick with me as we journey through this and build these thoughts. In Haggai chapter 1, turn to Haggai chapter 1. This is continuing in the, the journey of the Ezra and Nehemiah storyline. And as we've been saying, this is a time when uh, the Jews, God's people, had been taken into captivity in Babylon. And at this time, this is about 538 BC, before Jesus, where Cyrus the Great, who was a king of Persia, lets people go back to their homeland and he lets the Jewish people go back to Jerusalem and they begin to rebuild the temple. Before anything else, they rebuild the temple and they're physically rebuilding the temple. And uh, Mark spoke about this last week so well. He talked about Ezra chapter 3 where 50,000 Jews return home and they begin to rebuild the foundations and, and they're, they're building what God had for them to build. But the local pagan residents didn't want a thriving Jewish state. And so they come and they begin to discourage the Jews. They begin to speak against them. They begin to oppose them to such a degree that actually the whole rebuilding process stops. And this construction site lays dormant for over 20 years. I mean, imagine that you 
maybe you get frustrated when there's some roadworks in your road or on the street that you often go down and you haven't seen any activity for a couple of days. You're like, why are they stopping this road when there's no one there? Imagine that for 20 years, this construction site lay empty with nothing being done. And so you, you read these prophets, Zechariah and Haggai, and they come to instruct God's people. Haggai in particular is trying to shake them out of their inactivity, out of their apathy. Let's read Haggai chapter 1. Haggai chapter 1 verses 4 to 7. He says this, Why are you living in luxurious houses while my house lies in ruins? Now again, God's not got a problem with nice houses, um, but he does when they take priority over his kingdom. He says, This is what the Lord of Heaven's army says. Look at what's happening to you. You have planted much, but you harvest little. You eat, but are not satisfied. You drink, but are still thirsty. You put on clothes, but you cannot keep warm. Your wages disappear as though you were putting them in pockets filled with holes. This is what the Lord of Heaven's army says. Look at what's happening to you. Now go up into the hills, bring down the timber and rebuild my house. So what's happening in these verses? They were building their own house. They were building their own lives effectively. And they weren't investing their lives into God's priorities. What was the result of that? They were dissatisfied. Listen, if you want to know what living life is really all about, if you want to know for sure that you're serving the purposes of God in your own generation, just like it was said of King David in the book of Acts, then it means seeking first the kingdom of God. Now that phrase, seeking first the kingdom of God, that, that will ring a bell to many of you who are watching this evening. It's of course from the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus is speaking, it's recorded in Matthew chapter 6. Just turn there if you can, if you've got your Bible with you. Matthew chapter 6, Jesus is speaking uh, to a group of people and he's uh, in this moment specifically speaking about anxiety and worry. And he talks very practically. A lot of Jesus' teaching was very practical and it's outworking. And he says, um, you know, worry doesn't add a thing to your life. In fact, it takes away from your life. Worry misses the whole point. And then he says these words in verse 33. He says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Other translations say, seek first the kingdom of God and he will give you everything that you need. Now, as we've mentioned a lot in these Sunday night local teachings, when we read scripture, it's important for us to do a few things to understand the context of when it was written, who is it that's speaking? Who is it that's listening? What was life like in that moment when this was shared or when this was written? And Jesus is speaking to a group of people in this moment whose daily life looked massively different from our life today. And so a lot of their uh, daily thoughts would be consumed with uh, the things of that day. How are they going to get through that day? This was a time when they wouldn't just pop down the road to Tesco Express to pick up a pint of milk. This was a time when there weren't fridges like we have today. This was a time when there weren't many preservatives in, to, to preserve your food. They used salt and other spices to preserve food. But by and large, it wasn't like it is for us today. And so our daily life patterns were very different to how it was for them. They would on a daily basis think, how am I going to feed my family today? Will we slaughter a goat? Will we share with our neighbours today? A whole load of thoughts that we don't have to think. Now, I know that it's true that um, even in our nation, but specifically around the world today, there are still people who live day to day and wonder how they're going to survive day to day. I acknowledge that. But by and large, for us tonight, 
we're not in that camp. And so Jesus was speaking to these group of people and he wasn't saying or belittling the fact they had to think about these things. He wasn't dismissing their daily needs. His point was that every day there are things that we could choose to worry about. Every day there are things that could uh, demand our attention, things of business, things of priorities. But he's saying in this moment that if we're not careful, those things will take over the priority of the kingdom of God. Now for us today, when we turn our focus away from our daily needs, when we turn our focus away um, from just, just the busyness of life, and instead our number one priority is the question of whether God has authority in our lives, we're putting first the kingdom of God. And when we make that choice, many of these things that we need, many of these things that are a part of our daily life will naturally work themselves out. That's what Jesus says, isn't it? He says, seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added unto you and you will have everything that you need, other translations say. So let's just for a moment break those two bits of the sentence apart. And I want to focus on the first one and then we're going to end by just briefly looking at the second one. So Jesus says first, seek first the kingdom of God. In Matthew chapter 22 verse 37, Jesus says this, that we are to love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind. Other translations say with all of your strength. In other words, we're to love God with everything that we are. We're to love him in such a way that God is not just a part of our life, but he is our life. He is the, the one whom everything of our life orbits around. We're to live in such a way that we're consumed with God. But it's not about trying to fit him into our daily life, but he is our priority. And everything that we are and everything that we do is stemming from this most vital of relationships with him. Now, in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 2, we read about the early church, don't we? And we've looked at these verses many times and it talks about how the church was just exploding in terms of growth, how they were seeing God just do miracles day after day, uh, people were being saved. It was just a, a miraculous time. And, and we read these verses that we've read many times before where it says that they devoted themselves. Now, the Greek term for that means this, that they continually devoted themselves. It wasn't a one-off thing that they did at a conference. It wasn't something they did for the first 21 days of the year as they prayed and fasted. It wasn't a Sunday morning activity. He was a part of their daily life. He wasn't a part of their life. He was their life, the one that they devoted themselves to. So what does that look like for us today? What I'm saying tonight, does that mean that we, we don't go to work? Does that mean that we don't have hobbies? Does that mean that we don't take care of the daily priorities of life or the, the needs that we have week to week? Does that mean that uh, we don't do the washing up or hoover and we're just going to sit in a corner like monks and just hum to ourselves? Now, some of you would like not to have to do the hoovering and the washing up and all that kind of stuff. But, but it's not about that. It's about what is our priority. Now, you may say to me, how, how do I know? How do I know? what my priorities are in life? Real simple answer. Look at how you spend the majority of your time. Listen to the words that come out of your mouth on a consistent basis. What is it that gets most of your attention? What is a priority in your finances? And so on and so on and so on. Now again, none of this is to be looked at legalistically. 
Because otherwise all we're left with is religion and that's just dead works. It has no life in it. God's not interested in it. But in like in Acts chapter 2, this should all come out of a revelation, a desire-based revelation of who God is and what he's done for us. Now, when I've had conversations like this before with people, the answer or the, the objection that sometimes comes back is that people say, yeah, but I've got a life to live. I've got plans for my life. I, I love God, but do you know what? I've, I've got thoughts about how every segment of my life could work out and what my priorities should be. And there's two thoughts that really speak into that from God's word tonight. The first one is this in 1 Corinthians 6, Paul says, our life is not our own. He says you've been purchased with a price. That price is the blood of Jesus Christ and the sacrifice that he made on our behalf and for us and as us. That our life is not our own. We've surrendered it to God. But the second thing is this in Matthew chapter 16, verse 25. Matthew 16, verse 25. Jesus says these words that I want us to look at tonight. He says, if you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will find it. Let me read that to you again. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will find it. What did Jesus mean in this moment? Let me share an analogy with you. And I've shared it once before in a Sunday morning uh, preach. It's a little bit gruesome, a little bit grim. Um, hopefully you're not eating your supper as you listen to me this evening. But um, I think it makes the point fairly well. The, I don't know if any of you have seen the film 127 Hours. Anyone seen that? 127 Hours. And it's a film that's all about this guy called Aaron Ralston. And it's a true life story. And Aaron Ralston became famous in about 2003 um, because he'd recently taken up rock climbing. He was really into it. He was progressing in it. And one weekend he went off for a climb and had enough stuff for a day or so and went out climbing. And to cut a long story short, as part of his climb, he ended up getting his arm stuck under a boulder. And he tries to dislodge his arm, but whatever he tries to do, he cannot dislodge his arm. It's stuck underneath this boulder. And so for the next five days, 127 hours, and so uh, he tries to do this, but he can't. Now, you'd think that'd be a bit of a boring film, wouldn't it? That for five days, a guy's just stuck there trying to get his arm out from under a boulder, but they actually make it quite interesting. But for the next five days, he spends his time just sipping his drinking water, trying to make it last as long as he can while he tries to work out what he can do. No one's looking for him because he hasn't told anyone that he was going away on that weekend. And so he comes to a point at the end of these five days where his drinking water runs out and he's left with this understanding or this a place that he's come to where he accepts, I'm going to die. There's nothing I can do. No one's come for me. I'm going to die. But then he has one final thought before he gives up. He doesn't want to do it, but he knows that this will save his life. And so what he does, and sorry if you're eating your supper, but he takes out his penknife and he begins to cut his arm off from below the elbow. And he's cutting through, no anaesthetic, no painkillers. He's cutting through his arm and he gets to the final muscle or tendon, some of you, and he chops it off and he abseils down, he covers up his arm, he goes find somebody, true life story, they take him to hospital, the rest is history, he tours the world doing it, giving motivational speeches, and they've obviously made a film about him. But here's what he realised, that if I'm going to come out of this alive, the arm has to go. In order to save his life, he first had to lose something. 
Jesus says this, if you try to hang on to your way of living, you're going to lose out. But if you're willing to give up something of yourself, you will gain. It's this realization that God and the rest of our life aren't, aren't separate, but everything that we are and everything that we do as God's children is about living for him. That's what the early church understood. That's why they devoted themselves to him. That's what the people in Nehemiah's day understood. That's why they came together with common unity to serve God's purposes and see his purposes prevail. Seek first the kingdom of God. Okay, let's make this practical in the time that we have left. What does it look like to live like this on a daily basis? Now, there's so many different aspects of life that I could look at. Let me just pick <clears throat> a few this evening. Let's look at work. See, if work is just about you, then it's just about furthering your career. It's just about earning enough money, a means to an end to get that car or that house or whatever it is you want. Um, maybe it's about um, serving a purpose of trying to find your identity and trying to get status in the world. But if your work is orbiting around this thought of seeking first the kingdom of God, do you know what? All of a sudden, you're not furthering yourself in your employment. You're furthering the kingdom of God. Then you begin to realize, I'm an ambassador for Christ in the workplace. That every time you step into the workplace or nowadays switch on the Zoom call, you're representing the kingdom of God in the way that you work. You're an advert. You are a soul winner in the workplace. What about your marriage? That segment of your life for some of you called your marriage. Do you know marriage can just be about physical attraction. It can be just about two people coming together for company or raising children, going on holidays, enjoying life together. But when you place God in the center of that marriage and you seek first the kingdom of God in your marriage, do you know what? All of a sudden you say, God, how can this marriage glorify you? How can we further your kingdom and extend your kingdom and serve your kingdom better together than we ever did apart? If you're not married to somebody who's saved yet and you've still got an unsaved partner, I want to encourage you, just keep believing, keep praying, keep living a life of honour and love towards that individual. Maybe you're not yet married, but you one day hope to be. I want to encourage you, don't just pray for somebody who's good or funny or kind. Those are good qualities, but better than that, pray for somebody who is seeking after God's own heart, who's seeking first the kingdom of God. It makes a difference in our marriages. What about in the way that we raise children, those of us who have children? You know, maybe you're raising your children to be successful and polite and to know how to find their real worth. All of those things are massively important. But you know what? When you're seeking first the kingdom of God and how you raise children, all of a sudden you realise that there's an extra element to raising children. That we're stewarding a life of the glory of God. Proverbs 22 verse 6 says, Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old he will not depart from it. The message paraphrase says, Point your kids in the right direction, and when they're old they won't be lost. We have a responsibility as parents, whether your child is two or, or 72, um, to, to just lead them in the ways of God and not leave it to just a Sunday morning. What about that segment of your life called time? Let's look at that just for a moment. Do we set time aside to prioritise our relationship with God? Or do we find ourselves just saying, oh, I'm just so, so busy, I just don't have the time at the same time as being on social media and watching Netflix and uh, doing 1,000 crosswords, whatever it is that you do. I want to encourage you. Not tell you, not force you, because that's legalism. I want to encourage you 
to prioritize time with God in whatever way you're wired and you will gain and it will change everything else in your life. What about that segment called your finances? You know, living for the kingdom of God means being kingdom minded with our finances. And, and I believe, and I'm speaking from experience as somebody who, when I was first saved, said, God, you can have all of this segments of my life, but not my finances. I've gone from that to understanding that actually contentment is found in our finances when we begin to say, God, everything I have is from you anyway. And so I want to use my finances to further your kingdom. What about the church? You know, the way that we view church is different when we're seeking first the kingdom of God. It goes from being an event that we attend where we're looking for our needs to be met. We're looking um, for for our effects, our, our emotions to be touched. We're looking for how it can help us. And instead, when we're seeking first the kingdom of God, we begin to flip that on its head. And we begin to see that we are the church of Jesus Christ. And we want to give of ourselves to the local expression of church. Through, the, through our giving, through our serving, through our praying, through the way that we play our part. You know, the great news is this, and we can look at many different um, parts of our life. I just leave it there for the sake of time. But there's so many segments of our life we could look at and say, what does it look like to put God first in that area of my life? What does it look like to seek the kingdom of God first in that area of my life? When we do this, you don't lose out. We gain. We gain when we live this way. You know, in those verses that we read earlier, when Jesus said, whoever loses his life will find it. That Greek word will find it is the word horisko, which means eureka. It's the English word eureka. We know what that means. It's, it's, yes, I found it. I found what I was looking for. When you give up your thoughts and your priorities to serve the kingdom of God and to put first the kingdom of God, you will have that eureka moment. And so in the final couple of minutes, let's just look at the second part of Matthew 6, 33. Seek the kingdom of God above all else, and he will give you everything that you need. Here's the thing about seeking first the kingdom and the king. When we do, we'll understand a few things. We'll understand that God will provide everything that we have need of. We'll understand what it is to find true life. John 10.10 10 says that the thief comes to steal, kill and destroy. But Jesus came that we would have life and have it to the full. And we'll live each day with a sense of purpose, as Pastor Andy spoke about this morning, that we've been saved for a purpose, set apart for a purpose that's individual to us and a corporate purpose through the body of Christ. Let me end by asking you a few questions. I hope that this is helpful. I hope it's provoking something in you. Let me just end by asking you some questions. What would it look like for you to continually devote yourself to God? Just leave that challenge with you. What would it look like for you to continually devote yourself to God? Here's another question. What part of your life are you maybe withholding from God? Here's a third question. Is God a portion of your life or is he your life? Is he the main meal or is he a side dish in your walk with him? Because just imagine with me for a moment. What could happen if we gave it all to him? If we truly sought first the kingdom of God? Jesus promises that you would find true life. What could God do in your life 
and in your household if we all got this? What could God do in and through family church heaven if we all truly got this? Maybe like Nehemiah and, and the people with him, God would produce something through us that was remarkable, miraculous in a very short space of time. Let me pray for you as we end this evening. And again, let me just underline, there's no condemnation what I've shared tonight. There's no uh, being forced. This is a message that Jesus gives, that if we want to find life, it's available for us. If we want to find true life, we're to seek first the kingdom of God, knowing that he will give us everything that we have need of. Let me pray for you as we close. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you offer us an experience of life that those who don't know you can't have and can't experience. Father, I pray that we would be challenged tonight to honestly look at every area of our life and, and ask the question, am I seeking you first in this area of my life and this area of my life and this other area of my life? And God, I thank you that as we choose to honour you and as we choose to place you and your kingdom first, we will experience the life that you truly have for us. And as we do that, we're going to see you work in and through our lives in a miraculous way. Just like Nehemiah and the people in that time saw you do something incredible through your miraculous touch and through their hard work. God, in a short space of time, things were turned around. Father, we're declaring that over our lives and over our church, that you are going to be at work in us and through us as we seek first your kingdom. I just pray blessing upon every single person in the household watching this evening, whether they're watching live or tonight, or whether they're listening to this a little bit later on. Blessing and favour upon their life, we pray. Amen. I pray that that's encouraged you. And again, we'll be back here next week, continuing this series of thought. And next week, we're going to talk about unity and how that makes a difference as we build the house. God bless you.